Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy Hour with Fictabulous. I know it has been a long time since I did a recording, and I know last time I said I was back, but <laughs> I lied. <laughs> I was a, I was a liar. Um, but then again, I just had a baby, so I think that counts as a justifiable excuse. Um, but in the meantime, I know my husband was recording, and then I kind of pulled him away to to help because it's difficult. Well, not difficult. It's hard. It's just Everybody another. Well, they're fucking liars. And they have fucking nannies <laughs> on the DL that they're not going to share. Yeah. Um, well, but that too, that's the difference about having a second child is that you also have a toddler as well. So that makes parenting a little bit more tedious. Just a little. Um, and if you can hear in the background, that's my adorable two and a half month, almost three month old son, because like I said, I'm a mom of two now, so I gotta, gotta compromise. One's in daycare. The other one, this one's not quite in daycare yet because I'm not just, I'm not ready. Um, but yeah, so he's going to be joining me. So you'll hear his little coos, oohs, ahs, and burps cries farts whatever it is so if you hear it in the background just disregard it's my child not you know it's not it's not audio like me playing with the audio buttons yeah so so anyways um we are coming back uh into recording episodes and so i thought it would be i'm so excited about this episode because we are finally able to do <laughs> he's really excited too we are finally doing a quiet place part two we have waited i have waited for over a year to do this I mean, like short of the avengers i think it's your most like anticipated movie yes i mean i was if you recall if you've been with me from the very beginning of my podcast i was supposed to this was supposed to start be the first episode of my podcast um <laughs> why are you so talkative now <laughs> while you're eating um <laughs> so anyways we're um trying to okay you know what let me just let you take the floor here Fallon since you have so much to say all of a sudden Succeeded only by the sequel, Quiet Place 2. Thank you for that imitation. Sad imitation of our son. Um, but anyway, so yeah, last year, to start off the first episode of my podcast, we I was going to do Quiet Place 1, and then followed by Quiet Place 2, Part 2, because they were doing a double feature in the theater, which I had bought tickets for, and I was super excited just to watch them back to back. Um, but unfortunately, like many things, the pandemic fucked that up for us it did it was like oh you really you think you're gonna do this no goodbye um so me and my husband we um were fortunate enough to have uh my mother-in-law babysit the kids for us so we were able to go and see it in an actual theater and let me just tell you it was so nice being in a theater like I just didn't realize how much I missed seeing a movie in a theater after a whole year of just watching them in our living room, you know, one of the streaming services that 
how they've been doing movies, releasing movies now. I mean, it's nice because it's comfortable and it's in your own home and you don't have to get up and go anywhere and all that. Um, so it's really convenient for parents like us to do that who don't have to find a babysitter and all that stuff. But at the same time, after being back in the theater, it is really nice to just take that time for yourself and your spouse and just to go see a movie in a theater. It makes you really appreciate the quality, like just what a movie theater offers and what it brings, like a movie brings. Like that's how movie making is supposed to be. I mean, I, I definitely agree there. It's it's more so like you're saying how with the pandemic going on, we've been, you know, homebound for this whole time. But I mean, it just it's the difference of actually watching a movie as opposed to watching one at home where like your phone's constantly distracting you. You know, I mean, I, I think nowadays I watch a movie with my phone in my hand the entire time. And this is the first time and I don't know how long that I've actually sat and watched the movie you know, without distractions. Yeah, it was really nice, and we decided to do it kind of, you know, be fancy, schmancy, and we indulged, and we went to The Lot. Um, if you're from San Diego, it's a movie theater. It's called Lot. Let me enunciate that. The Lot. And it's stationed... Um, it's stationed... Station at <laughs> It's at Liberty Station in Point Loma. Um, I'm used. I didn't know that it was that kind of movie theater um, where it has the reclining seats and you can order food and drink. So it's kind of like um, the Sinopolis in Del Mar, which that was the only kind of theater that I knew of was in um, in Del Mar that did that kind of like you know reclining chairs and food and beverage services right there. You don't have to do like you know your typical popcorn and stuff, even though that's nice, but you can mix it up and actually order like an entree, like, you know, yeah, like a delicious juicy burger and have an alcoholic beverage. So um, the lot is definitely closer to our home. If you're ever in San Diego or if you live in San Diego and not aware of the lot, definitely check it out, especially now that movie theaters are opening up. I feel like to me, this is just, it's more worth going to the movies and those kind of movie theaters where the seats reclining, you get the ultimate experience. That's just what I'm saying. If you want to, like, if you're going to go see a movie, go see it there. It's really nice. I'm not getting paid for this. So it's not a paid promotion. It was just really nice. And it just felt, again, really good to be in a theater. And I'm glad that I waited. And I'm glad that John Krasinski waited to release this movie when movie theaters are opening up. He really knew what he was doing. I know I'm glad he didn't, you know, just forfeit and just like, you know, throw in the towel and say, hey, here you go, HBO Max or wherever. Um, because this movie needs to be seen in a movie theater. That's just how good it is. Um, so again, you, um, it is starring a little bit of John Krasinski. He does come back to direct it. And it's also starring uh, Emily Blunt, his amazing wife who's just incredible, and uh, Killian Murphy. Um, he was in, he's in Peaky Blinders. I think that's the most recent one that I, that he's been in that I've, and if you're a Batman fan, he was in Batman. Um, anyways, he plays the Scarecrow. So yeah, anyways, moving on. So uh, it stars those, I'm glad that he was able to come back, um, John Krasinski, and was able to, like just be in it again a little bit because honestly we missed him we weren't expecting him to die even though it was kind of already kind 
you know, suspected someone was going to die. Um, but yeah, he feels our pain. Um, so it was nice just to see him again, even if it was just for a quick little flashback. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Okay, so the beginning of the movie, it starts off with the flashback exactly like a, over a year before the events of the first film take place. So it's kind of like how how everything kind of started or came to be when the aliens arrived or everything. So yeah, day one. Yeah, so it starts off saying day one. Um, so, you know, shows John Krasinski's character Lee which I didn't know that was his name. I don't think they mentioned anybody by name in the first movie. So it was nice to kind of give everyone a name, so to speak. Um, so John Krasinski's characters just, you know, arrived into his little small town, um, like known as their like little downtown area or whatever. He stops into the market, grabs, you know, snacks, fruits and everything. And you're kind of seeing little things that... Um, were in the first one that connected back to the first one. So he's walking down the aisle and he just happens to walk down the aisle of where the rocket, the little toy rocket was that spaceship that unfortunately cost his youngest son in the first movie, his life, you know, because he put the batteries in and all that, that was that. Um, so, and it, you, so you realize that that market is the same place where they go in the first movie where they're in um, trying to get supplies, medicine for their son and all that. So they have, you know, um, very nonchalant connections, making you kind of like remember, oh, that's that place. So he's getting he's getting all this stuff and the, the store clerk or manager or whatever, he's watching the news and they're already they're kind of talking about like some kind of event that's already happening, you know, up in space or that they're in, in Shanghai. There was some kind of explosion that came from this, you know, um, the atmosphere and so there's not too much but that's where you're kind of starting to see like okay it's kind of already it's beginning but they haven't really they're not really putting you know nobody knows too much information about it so he goes ahead and he checks out and goes and makes his way to his son's um baseball game what can i say son the 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 actor um i think it's noah jupe he he grew <laughs> <laughs> like he did and it's so funny because and i'll get to it in a little bit but like you just you can tell when it, a child actor has grown up or just hit like a growth spurt so, yeah and so um yeah they needed to make that move fast and if they're gonna do a third one they better make it fast too because he's gonna be like <laughs> a grown man <laughs> yeah he's gonna yeah a full beard yeah so um but yeah he he grew so um so he's uh getting ready to bat you see em um emily blunt's character she's pushing her youngest son i'm glad they brought back the same little boy actor from the first one you know she's just pushing him on the swing and the sister played by millicent simmons she's um you know already watching the movie or watching the baseball game um so they're sitting there, they're watching. John Krasinski starts making, that's when they introduced Killian Murphy's character, um, Emmett, I believe that's his name. 
Um, so she starts, you know, they're kind of just small talk because he's listening to the uh, actual like like professional baseball game on the radio while they're watching the little league. And then um, shortly into that, they start seeing this huge like just fireball in the sky kind of heading off into the distance. It's pretty huge. Like, it, you know, and everybody it just stops everybody in their tracks, which is an appropriate response and you'd hope that people would stop in the tracks and right off the bat uh the dad lee he grabs his daughter and is like all right let's go everybody starts seeing it and it's like all right they just game over stops something's going down yeah it's not like a little oh you know meteor shower that you're just seeing yeah that you just happen to see no this is definitely coming and it's gonna hit earth so that was a very appropriate thing. Um, so Emily Blunt takes, you know, her youngest son and the um, older son to in her car. And then the daughter goes and follows her dad to his car. Um, and he kind of starts making small talk again with Killian's uh, character, Emmett, you know, because I guess Kill uh, his Emmett's has a brother that's in the military and he just missed a call. If you see a fireball in the sky, like something heading for Earth, and your your family member who's in the military calls you shortly after, pick up the phone. You know it's some serious business. Um, but I don't. It doesn't say whether he like actually got into contact with him or not, because it kind of just segues out of that clip. Um, but they're getting ready to leave. Then he sees the you know town sheriff deputy. Uh, so Lee goes over and starts, you know, asking, do you know what's going on? He's, he says nothing much, just hearing chitter chatter. It's going off. It's going to land over in some distant. Yeah, there's already. Yeah. So, (laughs) so that's all they, that's all he's hearing so far on his end. And just as, you know, Lee starts walking back to the truck, that's when you see the first initial attack from one of the aliens, monsters, whatever you want to call them, and he books it. <laughs> he books it to the um, back to the truck, and it's 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 really nice that he included this because if you don't remember, his daughter is she's uh, hearing impaired, so there's a lot of sign language going on, which works in their benefit because of this whole situation. You have to be quiet. Um, so, but I can only imagine how it is for a parent that's freaking out and he does this so well, he grasps this moment so well where he's freaking the fuck out, trying to like start the car and get away as fast as you can. And his daughter just doesn't know. She can't hear anything. She doesn't hear the scream. She doesn't hear like, you know, the break, you know, glass shattering and the sound of terror. So she's, you know, and he's trying to keep it together for her, but at the same time he's freaking shaking. And he's signing to her, it's okay, everything's fine, the car's not starting. So I can only imagine how difficult that must be to translate that to your kid who can't hear anything. But also at the same time trying to just keep it cool for the, for her sake. Um, so for whatever reason, his truck's not starting. And so they're just, you know, and during that time, like they kind of segue into the um emily's character driving her car making her way through the town you know 
and she's trying to listen on the radio what's going on but it's all staticky and she can't get a clear um, channel and then that's when she gets stuck behind this car and then all of a sudden another alien attacks or maybe it's the same one who knows but um, they attack the car in front of her she starts swerving around they pass um, Lee's truck um, and then she has to quickly put it in reverse because there's a bus that's just flooring it towards her they're freaking out her son's freaking out you know and you can see the glass shattering their glass is broken in the windshield and out comes you know so freaking creepily like just (laughs) yeah just all slow but like uh it's just insane and so it starts making it the alien monster starts making its way out of the window and she has to maneuver starts the putting the car in reverse to keep the bus from crashing into her um as well they end up crashing it's just a whole bunch of sequences like going back and forth and her daughter sees them reversing and gets out of the car because they end up crashing um and missing the the monster um and but and she starts making running straight towards them to help but then of course the monster comes back and is attacking everyone and Lee grabs her and they run the opposite direction to go into like, I don't know, was it a restaurant, like a bar um, with other um, survivors that are just, you know, trying to stay quiet or hiding. And it kind of gives you that feel because there's a part like where you, so they're hiding in there. There's this, these kids who are trying to on the phone with their mom and they lose connection. Um, and then the store owner or the bar owner starts praying. And so, Emmett, or not Emmett, uh, Lee very quietly like covers his mouth because it's like, stop praying. It ain't going to help you right now. Like, just shut up. <clears throat> yeah. And then I don't know if he got this inspiration for this scene, but so they're all quiet in the restaurant they're you know just trying to stay as still as possible and then you see the silhouette outside of the creature and it gives me jurassic park vibes of where the velociraptor like they're yeah velociraptor shut up okay you know what you're fired this is last time ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen (laughs) i can't even talk whatever you're fired as (laughs) co-host my ass (laughs) anyways so uh it gives me that jurassic park feels you know they're just watching the silhouette go across the windows you know outside and then freaking it's always somebody's phone that goes off it's the the kids who were who lost connection with their mom Uh, i guess the mom tried calling them back and then Cell phone goes off. Lee knows. All right. Time to get going. So he grabs his daughter and starts making like their way out of the back of the restaurant just as the monster breaks through and starts attacking everybody again. Um, and that with the monster close behind them and they're running, running, running. And then you see the um, Emily Blunt and character and her sons running away from their car that crashed and hiding behind the deputy's car that flipped over um and then you see 
the son looks over. He's, you know, he sees the dad and sister running towards them with the monster sh- close behind them. And then out of nowhere comes the deputy and with a shotgun and he's just firing over and over and over again. With obvi- which obviously we already know that they're, these guys are hard to kill. They've got, you know, really tough outer body shells or armor or skin, whatever you want to call them. Um, and so, and then it kind of cuts out just as the monster attacks the deputy. So um, then it goes to, cuts back to the current, like just present day where they just like picking up literally right off, right after where they left off in the first movie after uh, Emily's character shoots and kills the monster after realizing that the frequency from the radio that they gets off the um, her daughter Reagan's um, ear little yeah um, weakens them and exposes their inner you know more um, well it's like it's it's more it's like the yeah, soft tissue, you know, that's being protected by the outer shell, so she's able to shoot, shoot the shit out of it and kill it. So um, the son still has the baby, you know, she grabs them and says, let's go. And then this is the scene where it's like you really noticed how much the son, the older son, has grown. Not, not to knock in the movie at all, but it's just, yeah, not to knock in the movie, this is just it's time passed, you know, and, and unfortunately, like, that movie couldn't have been shot back to back. Exactly. So, but in that time between they finished the first movie and started filming the second one, he, again, hit a growth spurt because it feels like they still try, try to keep, kept, keep him in the same clothes. Like, they didn't even try to um, get him, like, a bigger size. I don't know. He just seemed really, like, too, like, buff or big for that, um, the sweater that he wore. I just thought it was funny. A large shell and a small yeah, and he went from being, like, shorter and smaller than his sister, the actor that plays a sister, to being, like, the same height and everything, so. But, I mean, it was just one of those. I don't know if anybody notices, but I do. I notice those things. Um, so, I was. I was like, damn, he grew. <laughs> um, so, anyways, they, you know, unfortunately, they can't stay because the barn that they were staying at and they had their little hideaway, you know, um, kind of what is it a padded room for when the baby arrives that's all underwater it's there's a fire you know so obviously there's no trying to salvage anything they have to move on because that sound is just only going to attract more monsters um but so while uh emily's character goes back into the barn to grab you know the the bassinet that the what is it the wooden bassinet that they made in the oxygen tank um the the daughter goes up to the what is it the tower what is it like the corn meal tower or something where they have the bonfire where they usually light you know and that's kind of like the only communication they have with other survivors they'll they'll light the fires and so she's trying to do that to try to figure out if anybody's still there where they would be, you know, lighting, and she gets, she finds, she's marking them off on the map, and she sees one in the distance that lights their fire, so she, you know, decides, or, you know, marks it on the map, so that way they can head in that direction, so to speak, because um, clearly that means that there are survivors there, that they can help them, 
Um, so they gather whatever supplies they can and they start making their way away from their home. Um, and then finally they reach the part of like the forest or place where they no longer, it's not sanded, you know, the sanded trail, which means that's as far as they went. Um, so which means it's just, you know, it's kind of like unmapped territory they don't know what's beyond like well i'm sure they know what's beyond there but they just don't know what lurks and the condition and they don't have the sand trail to you know muffle their footprints or their exactly so they have to just very carefully walk along the path or the off the map or whatever where there's like fallen leaves and it's you know just they're more vulnerable to sound um, so they're slowly making their way to this, what is it? Is it like a, an abandoned or what is it? A, like factory or steel mill? Yeah, that's what it is. <clears throat> so as they're making their way, getting closer to this uh, steel, steel mill. <laughs> yeah, um, they're, you know, kind of maneuvering in fences and stuff like that. You know, just, again, trying to not make any noise whatsoever. But unfortunately, it there's a trap, like a, a foot trap that's like a string trap or whatever. A trip line that's uh, waiting for them a little bit that they don't clearly see. Emily triggers it and is just, it rattles a bunch of bottles together. So obviously it's a like a booby trap for anybody that's coming across, you know, that territory that's obviously occupied by another survivor, but doesn't want any... like a self-defense thing if like a creature does go through there and it's going to trip that it's going to go right for the bottles and at least give whoever's there time to get away or at least that's what i kind of understood it as yeah so it's like a a perimeter you know alarm and so unfortunately emily's character sets it off she tells the kids to run they're trying to haul ass you know make their way to the um, steel mill and they're almost there and then they come across another kind of you know um, booby trap and unfortunately um, their the son Marcus steps in a bear trap and oh this scene it got me so bad. I'm sure it got everybody but just like the whole premise of the movie is like you have to be quiet. You can't make any noise because that's what these creatures yeah, to, to sound. That's how they, they hear things. That's how they hunt. That's how they live by. They don't see anything. They just hear. They live off by, based off sound. And to get your foot trapped in a bear trap is the last thing that you want to happen. Well, it is. And the the kid, Marcus, the, the actor, he's like, oh my gosh, he plays it so good. I'm just like, like, oh. And then, you know, it's obvious, like, he can't help it. Like, you're like, oh no, like, he's making noise. But at the same time, you're like, dude, you, you, you scream because that, you can't muffle, you can't, like, it's not like stepping on a nail like Emily's character did in the last movie. I mean, even though I probably would have still screamed or cursed or whatever. 
But yeah, and then her reaction as a mom, you know, knowing that your child's in pain and he's screaming, but at the same time, and she's just like, please, like, I know it hurts, but please shut up, (laughs) you know, you know. And of course, shortly after, they hear the muffled shrieking, uh, or not the muffled, but they hear shrieking in the distance of one of, you know, the creatures that obviously hears them. So that kind of snaps Marcus back into, you know, like, okay, I got to try and try and try, like, all his effort might to to keep it together and just just to push down the pain. And so they are able to, Emily's able to get her, um, the, the bear trap open, which, again, is painful. So it causes him to shriek again. Reagan grabs him, and they're, you know, booking it as fast as they can into the the still meal and the person you know who's watching them ends up being Emmett and he grabs them you know to help and he leads them um he helps conceal them in um what is it called like a tank kind of like like a something like that yeah so yeah, so um, he, he's able to help them get there uh, quietly just as the creature starts, you know, um, getting closer to them, you know, gaining on them. Um, so after hiding, um, you know, it's, he, th- while they're in there, um, waiting for the creature to, like, you know, give up and go away, he's, he's hiding his face the entire time. So um, Emily's character can't see and I guess oh her name's Evelyn so Evelyn can, um, is trying to you know plead with him just like thank you for helping us and he's like you know you can't stay here and she's kind of recognizing his voice but kind of not he's hiding his face you know obviously he's not trying to get involved or get you know it's just kind of like he's in that you know every man for himself you know every man for himself kind of mode and um so she finally figures out that it is Emmett and she lifts open the bassinet that's carrying her newborn and he's like kind of in awe like what the fuck <laughs> he's like god damn it um, and but he's still resistant in helping them you know he says you know you guys can stay here and you can patch up your son's wound and everything you can stay here for the night but there's not enough food I can't help you like please just go like he just doesn't want any kind of like connection with anybody no responsibility other than looking out for himself um because you end up learning that of course he learned he lost his son i think he said on the the day one yeah the day of the which oh that's rough and then like just two weeks before in present day he lost his wife to some kind of sickness or 11 weeks prior to him running into Evelyn and the kids where they are now, he, his wife passed to some kind of, I guess she got sick or illness that caused her pain. And it just like, kind of just progressed. She couldn't hide the pain and he obviously didn't have any, you know, pain medicine to help. So it was just him on his own. And he had just, you know, he's been at that still mill for a while. Um, so, you know, Evelyn's pleading with him to just, you know, help them 
and everything. And he's just saying, you know, whoever's left, whoever survives, who's left, you know, now surviving, they're not worth, they're not the kind of people that are worth saving, which is pretty true. I mean, it's very rare that you come across somebody that's like not trying to kill you and use you and one way or the other, you know, but at the end of the day, it is every man for himself. You can't let your emotions get in the way. And it's just not worth it because then it just ends up getting you killed, putting you in danger, and it's just not worth it. Um, but she's pleading with them, pleading with them. Um, but in the meantime, she, you know, she's dressing her son's wounds, and uh, Reagan discovers a radio signal that plays the song Across the Sea, and it's on a loop. Um, which originates from an island nearby, but Emmett just thinks that it's just an automated thing that just happened to just be going off every, you know, at a specific time. He doesn't think much of it. He tries to tell them, like, it's not anything, you know, but Reagan is convinced that it is a signal, like, kind of like an, um, like a hidden signal in the song saying, you know, hey, their survivors were across the sea. Reagan and Matt Marshall. Marcus? Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> Reagan and Marcus kind of discover the radio signal. Um, yeah, so while Marcus is recovering from his wounds, he's, you know, he's got what seems to be like just anxiety. And so to help calm him down, she gives him a he um, headphones that connect to the radio. And then he starts, when he hears the song he you know tells her and his mom yeah so um they're trying to convince um well they're still trying yeah so they're just getting ready you know she's she, um mark uh reagan tries to convince emmett that it's a message he's convinced it's not like don't get your hopes up kid like there's nothing you know um, so while he's like on watch or doing his, you know, nightly routine, um, everybody's asleep except for Reagan. She was able to figure out where the, the message, the, the, the loop is coming from, like what island nearby specifically. And so she, you know, makes a outline of how, where to go to get to there. And she tries to convince um, Marcus to help her find a way to the radio tower, but he's just, he's too scared. You know, he's just, he's afraid of, of ending up like his dad, unfortunately. You know, he just, he's totally against it. He doesn't want Reagan to do it. He just wants them. Yeah, it's too dangerous, which in a way, it, I mean, he's not wrong. And he just doesn't want to lose any more loved ones, which is understandable. But Reagan is stubborn and she's just very insistent on doing this because she knows that's that's what her dad would would have done. Um, so she set out to go to this radio tower because she she knows that once she gets there, she does this. She can transmit the high frequency noise um, that her hearing aid produces that exposes the weak spots on the aliens. Um, but unfortunately with Marcus, you know, yeah, saying he's out, he doesn't want to do this. Reagan is forced to venture out on her own after he threatens to tell their mom. Um, so 
Marcus falls back asleep. Everybody's asleep, um, but Marcus wakes up and he finds that the radio has a little, she left a note on the radio saying, like, keep listening um, for that frequency, you know, because he'll know. And so Killing, or Emmett comes back down to check on them, and that's when Evelyn tells him, like, what happened, and she's pleading with him, begging him that to go find her and bring her back, um, you know, and says that if Lee was here, he would tell you that she's the kind of person that is worth saving. So that kind of convinces, that, that does it, that convinces him to go and look for her. Um, and he does find her. Reagan makes it to a train station and uh, she's on the train. She doesn't have any shoes on. So, you know, they're not, she doesn't have the protection of the sand like they had on the trail to where they could walk barefoot and not get hurt. But traveling and running and walking on the rough terrain, she's got, you know, cuts, some pretty bad cuts on her feet, ankles. So she's um, stopped at this train abandoned train and is looking for she finds a um a first aid kit unfortunately she gets scared by a cadaver um and causes her to kind of like scream and make some noise as she falls back and can i just point out side note <laughs> that i'm just i'm glad that in this movie they've they're show they've shown like cadavers all over the place like decomposed bodies all over because in the first one even through the town where you know clearly people were attacked you don't see any bodies I don't know if they just like over that course of the year they just removed them so their kids wouldn't see them and stuff like that you know just put them in a, another building or but it was just nice because you're like where are all these bodies like where did they go you know the the monsters don't take them they just slice them and dice them right there um, so it was nice to see, well, it wasn't nice to see, but <laughs> Refreshing. it was, it was good. Like it was more realistic, yeah. like to find, see like the train full of different, like of, of, you know, decomposed bodies. Um, and it just added to the eeriness and the realness of the situation. Um, so again, she can't hear, so she doesn't know that an alien or has hurt her and it's on the train now um so she's she has a radio with her that she you know uh, like a travel size radio to bring with her as like her defense mechanism for the frequency so once she spots the alien she starts getting it ready and starts transmitting it but at the same time she has to like with one hand load up the shotgun and fire and she hits the alien but it's not enough to kill it so she's trying to reload but at the same time she's doing it with one hand while the other hand's on a frequency you know trying to keep it weakened yeah and just as when the alien's about to get her you, the it, it gets shot in the head but not from her and then you see that Emmett found her and is on the train so yay Emmett just in time um so <clears throat> Excuse me. So Reagan is trying to explain her plan to Emmett. And after much convincing, you know, because, again, he he's really just got this mindset of, no, I'm just going to I have your mom gave me one job. I'm doing this for her. I'm bringing you back. 
that's it. We're done. But she, you know, she trying to, she kind of tells him that he has an opportunity to do something even like, because he wasn't, he felt like he couldn't do anything to help his son. He couldn't do anything to help his wife. And now he has an opportunity to do something. And so that convinces him to help her finish her mission on finding this island. Um, and then so it goes back to Emmett's base and Evelyn has to, she has to leave Marcus and the baby to go get supplies that they require. More importantly, she needs another oxygen tank because the one that she has is low and about to run out. So she needs to go in order to help her baby, you know, survive when it, when she has to put him in the crate or in the... So the crate is to help muffle the sound, the cries of the baby. The oxygen take is to help keep the baby from suffocating while it's in the bassinet. So it's like a padded bassinet with the cover on it and everything. I mean, it's just, you know, she it's, it's smart. It looks barbaric. It looks cruel, but you have to, you know, she's this is how they're going to survive, especially since the padded room that they built at the barn down yeah so she has to kind of make her way back into town so going back towards you know the opposite direction and um luckily she goes back to that same store again where you know they the first movie started off and she finds two full oxygen tanks and she starts making her way back um However, Marcus, while she's gone, Marcus exits the bunker and decides to explore the compound like an idiot. God. <laughs> Just adds to the anxiety. Like, what are you doing? You're leaving the baby. There's not enough. Like, there's the oxygen's already low enough. Like, what are you doing? Like, no. Your leg is sore. Like, you have an injury. Like, come on now. Don't. Now is not the time to be adventurous. <laughs> yeah so he answered um he exits the bunker and explores the compound um unfortunately he accidentally knocks a few objects over which alerts a nearby alien to the location because he stumbles across um emmett's wife a decomposed body um so he's you know as quickly as possible limping back to the bunker and um he makes it back just in time just as the alien shows up. Um, unfortunately, though, when he gets back into the little bunker, he forgets to put, like, the bunker closes. It'll, It'll latch. There's a latch on there. So if you close it, it automatically latches. Well, Emmett has, like, some kind of, like, towel or sheet over the little latch area part to where if he closes it, it'll close, but it won't latch. So that way he can still get out. Um, because if they're... Yeah, and because if they stay in there for too long, it they're going to suffocate because they just run out of air. Obviously, because there's no ventilation. Um, and they and he has like a little timer to help to remind him open the door. But it latches and Marcus is unaware when he puts himself and the baby in the bunker. Um, so that's another anxiety-driven moment. So mind you, this is already the, the following day that all this has happened, that um, Evelyn's had to leave to go to the town to find, you know, oxygen tanks and other supplies. So all this has happened the day after 
the um, events from the last movie. And so it goes back to the station, the train station where um, Emmett and Reagan have, you know, taken shelter and stayed the night. Reagan wakes up to find her radio and earpiece missing. She's starting to, she, you know, looking around frantically. She goes outside, can't, doesn't see Emmett anywhere. And she thinks that he's just like abandoned her. So she starts to just like feel to have this defeated moment. And yeah. So just as she is, um, you see Emmett come back um, and it turns out he went and looked for boats to, for her, for them to take to the Island. Um, but I think he's, he took it as kind of like his defense mechanism too, but also a way, well that too, but so he's def- has defense against the creatures, but at the same time, so Reagan doesn't go off without him again. Um, so, which is smart. So they start making their way um, to the harbor where he's spotted these boats and um they're trying to find they make their way to the dock and they're about to untie one of the boats that he's found and then he sees a shadow kind of run by him and obviously it's not one of the shadows where it's like oh my god it's a creature no it's it's a person and but it ends up being um like a booby trap there's this little girl who's playing at the end of the dock and he goes over and of course you know the human side nurturing side of him tries to help her and she puts like some kind of harness around his neck, like a noose, and it's like a net, but it's attached. It's got like a booby trap. It's got like sound, like glasses, bells, dinghy, like whatever, like not dinghies, <laughs> like you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just, just whatever makes noise. So he's forced to stay still, and then out come all these. Um, a group of people who have clearly survived, but they're just feral. They're just, you know, obviously the dangerous kind of survivors that Emmett was talking about. So he just proved his point, but is made, being made an example. Um, so they take Reagan and uh, they disarm him and all this stuff. And they're getting ready to, to take Reagan. Like they're going to, they're going to, Yeah, like he was like they, they, you know. I mean, you can't help but assume like these guys, primarily guys, in this group, are gonna hurt her in some way. Um, but just as he is, as she's being taken by these guys, um, he's trying to convince him. He's trying to plead with them. You know, please don't do this. All this stuff. But they're 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 beyond human reasoning you know they're just any it it is it's just you know they're at this point this at this time just all about surviving they don't care about anybody all human emotion anything like that is just gone um so he looks at reagan and he remembers a sign that she showed him of how to say like dive in sign and um, sign language and so he he tells her you know does the the sign for dive um and so she jumps into the water and at the same time he starts fighting off all these all the guys because i think he had like a side weapon or something that they didn't grab or i don't know it was something he improvised like the badass that he is um, so he's, you know, 
knocking these guys left and right. He he knows that he's going to be making noise and everything, but he's using that to his advantage. So he finally gets a hold of the main guy who had Reagan, and he wraps the other part of the net that is on him around the guy and kind of ties him to the dock, uh, a pole that's on the dock, and um, to lure the creature to kill him. So just as the creature is about to attack, he jumps in the water and is trying to, you know, under the water, you know, free himself of the harness um, while the creature above is attacking all these people. Um, so Emmett finally frees himself from the harness and he comes up for air and he's starting to swim away from the dock and just as he starts to swim he one of the creatures who just kills the last of the feral people hears him and he jump the aliens jump in the water now if you remember from the first movie when um evelyn's care um emily blunt's character evelyn just given birth and is recovering in the padded room um the she noticed you know the water's flooding and everything from the the aliens attacking and she's trying to make her way to her baby who's in the the bassinet and she sees an alien is down there and they can these bitches can go underwater well here's the kicker so the alien jumps in the water and you're like oh shit he's done for like Emmett starts swimming away frantically as you do and um but then you soon realize that although the aliens can breathe underwater or go underwater or whatever they can't swim I so think about it from that, considering how thick their like car faces or like you know their their chitin whatever their armor you want to call it um it might be too heavy that's why they can't swim probably and yeah. they just they stop bullets and they can survive being in space like it's probably too heavy for them to, you know, yeah i mean yeah. 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 What idiots. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Stupid aliens. <laughs> yeah, we can't swim. Gosh. Anyway, so um, one al- the, and then another alien comes. So while this alien's drowning, the other alien jumps onto the boat that was loosened by Emmett. And so he starts, you know, the alien quickly realizes that his fellow alien is drowning in the water. So he knows not to jump in. Um, but just as, you know, Emmett's trying to swim, Reagan is able to get into like a little motor, single motor boat and pulls him ashore and comes to find out that he was able to save her, um, earpiece by putting it in his mouth. Um, so they still have that, that what that didn't get lost or ruined or whatever. So they still have a chance. So they get, he gets in the boat, they make their way to the island finally, after escaping the feral people and the aliens. Um, it's what, like still late at night, early, early morning. So they finally, they're starting to make their way towards the island and they're almost there. And then it cuts back to the compound. Um, so Evelyn is just coming back with the two oxygen tanks and she hears the alien shrieking, you know, trying to still find Marcus and get to them and all that stuff, you know, from all the sound that he made. So she starts running frantically into the compound with the supplies and, um, 
she's not able to get into the bunker. There were two ways to get into it. There was like a ladder tunnel way. And then there was kind of like a, a slide drop into where you just kind of hopped in and slid down that kind of Emmett made like a makeshift with padding at the bottom. <clears throat> so that's kind of like destroyed because of the alien. Um, so she's trying to lure it out to protect, you know, to save her kids. So she, um, what does she do? She starts, she uses, she knows she's forced. She has to use one of the oxygen tanks, which is like a total bummer. Um, but she, I don't know. She just makes some kind of noise. I forgot what noise that she makes to lure it out. Okay. So I was trying to look at my sources to figure out what Evelyn does exactly to lure the alien out of the bunker. Um, so I think it, cause she looks at like, I don't know. She comes up with some kind of idea. I forgot. It's like a small little detail. I don't know if she turns on like a faucet that she sees, like a pipe of water. Um, but the, she's able to lure the alien out. She has the tank set up, one of the oxygen tanks set up in the distance for the alien to kind of like um, attract him to. And she has a gun and like attempts to blow it up. But again, their shell, their outer layer, you know, skin is just tough as nails. And um, I don't even think she like wounded it. Yeah. And so unfortunately it was a waste of oxygen. <laughs> that she could have used um but i think that she well actually now that i think about it i think she, that was just the decoy to start a fire to set off the sprinklers because there is a sprinkler system inside the steel mill and so she you know so she does that she blows up the alien it kind of disorients him but he's starting to come like make his way like it's starting to make its way towards Evelyn and she's just waiting you know looking up at the sprinkler system like okay like waiting for enough smoke to you know signal it for it to turn on and luckily it does just as the nick of time so that's causing disorientation and confusion with all the sound drip like water dripping on the ground so she's able to kind of go around the alien and make its way make her way back into the bunker with the supplies to save her son and her newborn who are still in the bunker but again when he was in such a rush to get into the bunker Marcus closed the latch without putting the padded like towel down to keep it from actually latching so now he can't they're in there and they're running out of oxygen and he's it's just such a suspenseful moment because because it's like but I think it's more suspenseful for or like just hard to watch for me because I'm a, a new mom again so I have like a two and a half month old baby and so it's like he's the Marcus is having to share the oxygen what's left with the baby and the baby screaming because, you know, it's in distress and it's it can't breathe and there's little oxygen to share between them both. And so finally, Marcus, you know, gives the last of the oxygen to the baby and he passes out from, you know, lack of oxygen. Um, but luckily, Evelyn returns with the um, other tank oxygen tank and hooks it up quickly for all of them you know he's she's able to wake him back up from unconsciousness and give him the oxygen that he needs with the new oxygen tank and she's able to um she remembers to put the pad you know she closes the latch and you're like oh no but then she she's puts the the padded back um so it doesn't latch again because that would just be <laughs> that's just oh man talk about a very high spence high suspense edge of your seat 
but even more so as a mom, you're like, oh my God, this little baby, like, oh, you know, it's just uh, crazy and not good for my anxiety. So, (laughs) so yeah. So they're safe in the bunker with a full tank of oxygen. But I mean, to share between all three of them, it's, it's going to go fast, especially while they're waiting for the alien to, you know, go away, which it's not, it's still there. So she can't open the bunker yet to let, you know, air in. Um, so they're in there trying to survive. Um, Emmett and Reagan make it onto the Island. Um, in the wee hours of the night slash morning, they see that the, um, there's, you know, just, they see, they hear people talking, they hear chatter, they hear, you know, pre alien attack, you know, people, survivors around a big, yeah, just people gathering around together around this huge bonfire talking, you know, barbecuing, as if nothing ever happened, you know, just refreshing. And they're kind of just in disbelief that these people are able to do that. And so fine. Um, they, they, you know, go to these survivors, they talk to this guy, you know, Emmett finds this kind of like group leader or whatever of the survivors. And he's just kind of talking to him about what's happened and where they're from and where they came from and how they were able to, put together the message which you know he's like Reagan I didn't put it together this you know Reagan did so Emmett proceeds to tell him their plans of using the radio tower to transmit the frequency the static frequency that helps disarm slash weaken these weaken these um the aliens so the the guys are agreeable to do that and so it's you know kind of like morning afternoon time and Emmett is back on the shore again, and he's kind of just kind of like not in dis, not yeah, reflecting kind of just like in awe or like disbelief or kind of like a sigh of relief that there's a chance to survive this and make it out of the situation. So he's just you know staring off into the su- the sunrise, you know, the distance in the ocean. And then he hears some kind of like clanking sound. So he starts making, yeah. So he starts making his this way over to some kind of like ravine area. Um, and he discovers that the boat that the other alien was on that was floating away, that the boat that originally Emmett had released to, you know, for him and Reagan to go on, it made its way on the tide you know drifted to the island as well so which means and the boat's empty so that means the alien is on the island now so he's trying to you know run back to the area where people are you know the little village or whatever whatever you want to call it and just as he starts you know screaming like go inside go inside that's when the alien starts attacking people everybody's screaming frantically running around like with their heads cut off which is like you aren't they aware of what these aliens like you have to be quiet so the last thing you want to do is to start freaking out but i mean it's human instinct it's it's human nature to just start screaming and freaking out um so he grabs a kid you know that's kind of just standing there in the midst of it and 
runs inside and him and the group leader go inside and they put the the two boys into this closet, you know, and tell them to just be quiet. And they realize, you know, they got to go since the alien is on this island, they have to go and make their way to the radio tower. So him, Reagan, and the group leader make their way into a car that they have. And they're using that as like a, um, like a decoy kind of like, so he keeps honking his horn as they're driving away to lure the, the alien away from the people um, and head towards the radio tower. So they they finally make their way to the radio tower. They're inside the garage or whatever, and the group leader kind of freaks out because they he doesn't hear or see the alien anymore. So he starts freaking out, thinking that he lost him or that the the yeah he went too fast and that the alien just gave up and went back to the town like the little group of people. Um, and he's freaking out about his family, but just as they're about to go inside to the radio room. That's when the alien grabs him and pulls him out. So the group leader is no more, um, unfortunately. Um, but that buys them time to get into the radio station um, and make their way into the on-air room. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Recording room where the microphone is that transmits the to all the speakers all over the place. Okay, so... We're almost done. <laughs> so it's kind of going back and forth. It's like the suspenseful movie is rising. because Music is rising because, you know, Reagan and Emmett are so close to getting into this room. But the alien is inside now with them. And they're trying to, you know, unfortunately, the door is locked. So they have to go through this open window. And, you know, while this is all going on back at the bunker, you know, the alien's still there. He hears them because the baby's crying. You know, they're still trying to, you know, Emily or... Um, Evelyn was able to open the door a little bit to um, let in some air, but then the alien showed up again. And so I think she was trying to grab something. Like she got out to grab something. I think it was, what was it? She was trying to grab, I don't know, it was just supplies or something or medicine for her son because to help with the infection of, you know, prevent infection of the, the wound that he got from the bear trap. So she grabs it just as the alien is coming back and she goes back into the bunker. But now the alien was able to rip off the door to the bunker. So it's, everything's just uh, like high suspense. Oh, that's an understatement. Um, but yeah, so it's just cutting back and forth to Reagan and Emmett slowly making their way into the, the room. And then back into the bunker where Evelyn, Marcus, and the baby are trying to, like, they're at the very end of the bunker, just out of the alien's reach. They're all freaking out. And it's just, like, what's going to happen? Like, who's going to get it now? So finally, um, Reagan is able to go in to make it through the window into the room that leads to the recording studio. And then... She makes some kind of noise, unfortunately. Um, but so that forces Emmett to jump through the window as well and to kind of distract and use himself as a shield to buy her more time. He gets badly injured and she finally is able to transmit. She needs to flip the switch to on air. And she does that just in time as back in the bunker, the alien finally like is able to, like, he gets a good slash cut on Evelyn's thigh and she's screaming in pain and agony 
and baby's crying. Marcus has the headphones on and it's just like staticky or whatever. And finally he hears like it works. He hears the frequency. So he, yeah, the feedback, he unplugs the headset and turns up the volume and it starts to disorientate the alien and the alien starts to freak out and back off and, you know, um, Marcus has this kind of like moment because of what is it kind of just stepping up and being the one to save his family. Um, cause he's just throughout the movie from the last movie. He just, he, he not like the weakling on purpose. He's just, he's a kid. He freaks out, you know, he's, he's just, you know, it's just a moment for him to step up and, and be kind of like the man of the, family you know man of the house now um kind of moment and back at the radio station you know the sounds disorienting um the the alien so she's able to save Emmett just as he was about to get killed you know not again but wounded again she's able to take like a broken pipe and stab it through the brain and um, Marcus grabs the handgun that his mom had left out of the bunker and shoots the alien. So everybody, everybody survives. <laughs> Yay. Um, so that's where it is. Um, so Reagan leaves her hearing aid on the radio station microphone, um, allowing anyone picking up the correct frequency to use the noise to fight these creatures and it kind of um ends with that so it ends with her you know just standing over the dead creature's body and it kind of cuts out and you know clearly that's gonna lead to hopefully another sequel i know at the um i read that originally john krasinski didn't want to do a sequel he wasn't really setting up for a sequel he was just you know he just wasn't interested in taking that route but because of just how popular and how much you know people enjoyed the movie and how it was just well received by critics and everywhere you know the producers the the studio head they all just were like you got to do a sequel you can't just leave it at that people are aching for a sequel so he finally was convinced to to do a sequel and I'm glad that he did he did a phenomenal job like he just kept the mem the momentum from the first movie going into the second one just without a beat and everything was just perfect from the flashback to introducing these new characters of survivors it's just you know it's really I think nowadays it's really hard to get a good sequel without kind of using doing you know, storyline, plot line, you know, but from like, because he could have gone that way. I was wondering, you know, like, is he going to do kind of the same thing of the first movie, but do it from a different family's, like, surviving family's perspective and all that? So, um, but the way he went about it was just perfect. You know, just it kept the movie, the, the story moving forward rather than just kind of staying still, like, staying in the same place and doing a repetitive thing that some other sequels tend to do. Um, so yeah, that is A Quiet Place Part 2. It's, it was just, it's so good. And I'm glad it was, it was the first movie that I saw, you know, that we saw post-pandemic still, but not 
after the pandemic, but it was just nice to see. And I'm glad that again, John Krasinski waited to release the movie for when theaters were opening back up because it's definitely something you have to experience. It's what the movie, you know, watching in theaters was made for. So if you have the chance, go see it in movie theater. Don't wait for it to be, you know, released in a streaming service. It's not going to be the same. It's not. Sorry. It's not. Um, but yeah. So again, A Quiet Place t- Part 2 starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, John Krasinski, um, Millicent Simmons, and Noah Jupe. Um, so yeah. All right. So I'm going to end with some uh, movie trivia, you know, fun facts about um, the second part movie. Um, so like I said, originally John Krasinski didn't want to do a sequel and he didn't want to be a part or involved in the sequel. Um, but again, the producer convinced him to come over and, and pitch his ideas to the studio. Um, and after three weeks, they asked him to write the story with the idea that the directorial duties would be handed over to other filmmakers. But Krasinski finally offered to come back as director. Um, he jokingly suggested that he was Jedi mind tricked into signing on to the sequel, which I'm just glad that he was able to come, like he decided to come back and direct it. Cause I don't think it would have been the same. I don't think it would have had that, that Krasinski touch, you know, presence in the second one. I think it would have just been too different. And I think it would have just killed the franchise. It wouldn't be what it is. So yay, Krasinski came back. Good job. <laughs> uh, Jedi mind trick him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> to do stuff like that. Yeah, do that more. Do that more. <laughs> um, another fun fact, his wife, Emily Blunt, admitted that she was initially hesitant to join the project for the sequel as well, um, as she didn't feel like she could top the first movie. But when she she was on board after she heard or read John Krasinski's pitch for the first bus scene, which they put, if you haven't seen the trailer, that's initially the scene that they use for the trailer. And it's just so like, ugh. It gets the movie starting, like, too. It's just a crazy scene. She also admitted that the first take of that scene is in the movie, as she was also terrified in real life by the stunt, which had the bus coming at her at 40 miles per hour. So according to John Krasinski, that's really Emily Blunt driving in reverse, maneuvering around the the cars and stuff like that. Yeah. And trying to out-drive or you know, the bus that's, yeah, coming at her at 40 miles per hour. So the fact that they they did all that kind of like in real life and not using kind of any props or stunts is is pretty crazy. But I mean, Emily Blunt's just as much a badass as her husband. So (laughs) Um, the film's premiere happened on March 8th, 2020 in New York City. And it would have been released, um, but then, of, co- of course, the it was postponed due to the outbreak. Duh. Um, according to John Krasinski, in the opening scene, the town scene, he passes by Brody's Pizza. It's actually a nod to Steven Spielberg and the character in Jaws, Chief Brody. I, I swear I saw that pizza shop, and I, I, I felt like there was some kind of nod there. I just know what the connection was yeah so that's where that connection was um so brian tyree henry was originally cast but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts um dijman hansu um you may know him from a lot of like what is it main most importantly i think you recognize him from what 
villainous roles, but more importantly, what is it? More recognizably, Guardians of the Galaxy. He was the one of the henchmen for um, what's his name? Uh, Ronan, and he's like, you know, he's like Star Star Lord. He's like who or whatever, you know. If you've seen the Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, he's was he in Fast and the Furious? No, he's not. Don't don't start this. Don't start this fight. Search it right now. You want me to search it? Okay, stand by. Stand by. I'm being challenged. I'm about to rebuttal the shit out of this guy. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to be proven possibly wrong, but we'll see here. Let's see. Let's see. We're on his IMBD. Let's go to films. Um. <laughs> oh, Furious Seven. Okay, okay. It was probably like a minor role, which was not as probably like. I, I swear you played like one of the, the main henchmen villains. Like in that. Let's see. Michelle Rodriguez. Like what are you? Oh, with um Charlie Theron. I don't. See, he's not in any of the photos. I don't know. Okay, but he was in Furious 7. Clearly, he has a very small role because, I don't know, maybe he was a villain. I mean, he's plays villain, villains a lot, so. But it's just not as... He's in Furious 7, okay? Let's just settle that dispute. Anyways, but he was also in um, Legend of Tarzan... Um, like I said, Guardians of the Galaxy. So there's just Korath. That's Korath. That's the character in um, in Guardians of the Galaxy. So there's that. Um, so yeah, let me go back to see what other stuff. So Bryant, who's Bryant? I'm not recognizing that name. He's in Godzilla versus Kong. Let's see, he was in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, so I'm not too familiar with in what? In Spider-Verse? Okay. And then he, um, yeah, he was in, sorry, he's in the Godzilla versus Kong, Woman in the Window, so I'm not too familiar. He's going to be in the upcoming um, Eternals Marvel movie, so that's cool. So keep a lookout for him. I'm sure he'll become more notable in that movie. But, um, yeah, so he was set to play uh, Dijmon Hansu, who was the group leader on the island. Um, so he was going to play that character. Um, let's. Oh, and I just read that Stephen King gave a nod to this movie, along with the first movie, A Quiet Place. So, and John Krasinski was pretty awe, in awe of that, you know. Yeah, so to get a nod of from you know, Stephen King like Yeah, is pretty big, you know. And he's known to be very picky about his horror, like what he's into, you know, as far as like what movies he likes. Um, so good job, John Krasinski. You're doing something right. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, but we want another one. <laughs> yes, we need closure. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are little fun facts. And if you didn't know this, Killian Murphy was also in another um, kind of like post like apocalyptic um, movie. He was in 28 Days Later and 
um, Dunkirk, but I don't think Dunkirk was apocalyptic. Yeah, so, but 28 Days Later is a zombie movie, you know, aftermath of an apocalyptic event. Um, so, yeah, if you are interested, go watch that. Um, he's a really good actor. And, um, yeah, so I look forward to continuing my podcast and doing this routinely now, now that I'm not pregnant and... <laughs> just getting back into the swing of things. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast review and discussion with my husband and little commentaries from my adorable two month, two and a half month old Fallon. Um, and we will talk to you next time at the next review, which will be on, is it, hold on, let me, uh, the next movie review discussion is going to be a night hunter. Um, that is going to, that's starring Henry Cavill, um, who else? Ben Kingsley and Alexandra Daddario. She was in the uh, Percy Jackson films, um, the new Baywatch with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Zac Efron. Ben Kingsley was from, um, he was the uh, face of um, the Mandarin in Iron Man 2. So yeah, um, we're going to be doing a review and discussion on that. That's that that movie is just a total mind fuck and yeah it's just one of those it's it's a really good um like murder mystery type of suspense chase so stay tuned for that have a good rest of your week and we'll talk to you again later bye bye <laughs>